Well, hello and welcome to episode 22 of the 1099 for the week of December 14th, 2015. Full cup of coffee here. It is 75 degrees out. It's like there's not a cloud in the sky right now. Like this is these are the moments where I don't miss living in Pittsburgh. It's just beautiful in Jacksonville. I'm gonna probably immediately go outside after this to the dog park or something. Uh, before that, today I'm joined by Pace Magazine's comedy and games editor Garrett Martin, who's both a wonderful editor and someone who has a much more impressive beard than I do. Garrett, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I've never heard anyone call Jacksonville beautiful before. <laughs> See, so, uh... it's usually swampy, is what people call it, and gross or like muggy and most of the time they're right but it's just so pretty out right now like i this is probably one of the best days since i've lived here for like a year and a half so i'm it's it's fantastic i'm gonna open all my blinds that's good yeah everyone i know from up north who lives in the south now they're all ecstatic about how nice it is today and i'm thinking you know it doesn't feel anything like christmas i want it to be a little bit colder I, you know we get 70 degree days like so much of the time we don't need one today here in the middle of december yeah and i agree with you for the most part but like i was planning on going outside today and actually like you know doing stuff other than playing video games so i was like man it, i really hope it's sunny and i'm going home to uh pittsburgh in like right. <laughs> a week which means a lot of driving but that's when i'll get my fill of snow that's when i'll within a week be like this is what am i doing here it's cold i need a jacket i can't just go out in shorts anymore i'm just going to be a complaining person the entire time and annoy my family <laughs> but before i annoy my family uh since when i first started this podcast you were one of the people i had in mind for like i should probably talk to garrett because anyone who's listened to any of, the, any of these episodes has probably heard me say like pace magazine is a really good place to pitch it's a really good place to write about games so i worked with you i think it was last year for a feature and like i said quickly realized the video game coverage you do to me feels unique. And before we kind of dig into your full philosophy on that, what exactly do you do at Paste? I know you like, you know, I saw on your Twitter, of course, your comedy and games editor, but what's kind of your uh, daily routine at Paste Magazine? So I spend about an hour in my car to get there every morning and uh, uh, walk into the big open room that is our office that has no partitions or walls of any kind. And I sit at a desk, um, mostly silently, just uh, editing and writing um, all day long, uh, occasionally putting headphones on when someone puts a record I don't like on the Sonos. <laughs> um, no, it, it's uh, mostly editing. I do some writing. It's it's trying to think about what is coming up that we need to cover, think about what news stories break throughout the day that we need to get a post up about. Um, it's just sort of uh, anticipating uh, what's happening and and observing what's happening and making sure that we cover what we feel needs to be covered. And how do you balance the comedy and the games aspect of that? Is there a certain is it a fifty fifty split, or are you mostly doing the game stuff compared to the comedy? Um, it's fifty fifty. I actually probably do more comedy than games now. Oh, well. I uh, I mean, I, I edit equally for both. You know, we we I have certain um, expectations in terms of how much content I put up in each section. And they're, they're the same amount of uh, pieces and the same amount of uh, – or in the same variety of type of pieces or whatever. But uh, when it comes to my own personal writing, I've been writing more about comedy over the last year. Uh, I, I assign out the game's content way more than the comedy, I feel, uh, partially because I just probably like comedy more than games. Um, yeah. But also because I've been doing the game stuff for four years here now, and I have a large roster of really great writers to help me out. And uh, I like giving them work and I like making, um, having them make us look good, basically. So. Yeah. And I mean, comedy, like games, is broad. So what exactly mm -hmm. do you cover with comedy? What's it, like, what sort of, uh, what's a recent feature or article you've uh, written? Um, so I interviewed Mark Maron uh, a couple oh, weeks awesome. ago. 
uh, he had a special on Epics last week. So I talked to him about that and about his show. We wound up talking about music a lot because he's a big music guy. Um, let's see. I went to Montreal back in July for the Just for Laughs Festival, and I wrote a lot of stuff from there, both reviewing shows and talking to f- a few comedians, stuff like that. A um, lot of uh, reviews of new shows that come up. Basically, if there's a new show that fits the comedy section rather than the TV section, like something on Adult Swim, something on Comedy Channel, mm. or, or Comedy Central, I mean, we will... Uh, I'll usually write the first review, which will be sort of like an overview of the show itself, uh, because they usually get us screeners in advance. And then we'll have the episodic reviews written by one of my freelancers. But uh, yeah, it's uh, the comedy section. It's mostly stand-up, sketch, uh, improv stuff. We do have some sitcoms in there. And, uh, you know, I talk to the TV editors. I talk to the movie editors to make sure we're not overlapping on things. And you had mentioned just a little bit ago that you know, you've been doing this for four years for the, the game side of it and how right. you kind of have this Rolodex at this point of writers, all these people that you've like, brought along and you trust to make your site look good. But how do you find and how did you find these specific freelancers to produce pieces for you? Because very often I get um, people emailing me or you know, sending me tweets saying like, you know, what do I what do I do to get an editor's attention? Should I just, you know, should I tweet them? Should I send them an email and try to find their email address? Do you have that? And it's something that I get asked quite often. So do you send out calls? Did you take suggestions from people you trust or was there some other method? Uh, I did contact some people out of the blue, um, but mostly it's if I see something that I really like that if I read on another site, um, I'll, 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 I'll look at their, if they have their own website full of pieces they've written or links to pieces they've written, you know, I'll look through there and see if they seem like a good fit for paste. Uh, a lot of it is stuff that's recommended to me by, um, well, when Maddie Myers is my assistant editor, she helped find some great people. Um, sometimes if, uh, someone just pitches me out of the blue and includes, it, it's, it's vital. If you're going to pitch an editor, one, don't send a finished piece as an attachment and be like, yeah. Oh, Hey, here's this thing. Read it. Um, introduce yourself, uh, say where you've written, uh, include a link to if you have social media and if you have a website that links your stuff, um, we need to see that stuff. So if uh, I get an email from someone who seems promising and they have links to work they've written in the past, I will go and you know look through their stuff and see if it, again, if it looks like a good fit for paste. Um, but some of our best writers, I'm not even really sure. Like Austin Walker, he wrote me out of the blue. Yeah. And, um, you know, he had uh, links to some of his work and it was all amazing. And I was really excited to, to work with him. Um, but I'm not sure who recommended, you know, that he gets get in touch with us or not. Maybe he heard it on your show. Who knows? Maybe. Like, I, I mean, Austin Walker is, has to be like, it had to be so much fun just to work with him. And he said, you know, people don't know he's a giant bomb now. And I remember right. uh, reading his stuff, too, when he was at Pace Magazine. I'm like, this guy knows what the hell he's doing that was one of those times you read this and you're like wow that was yeah. it, it was amazing and you also have uh like ian williams and a lot of people who you know i respect it's you've really kind of amassed this great stable of writers and you'd also mentioned social media which a lot of people might you know kind of scoff at that and think like you know twitter doesn't really matter but i was talking about this last week with uh, jake baldino where uh twitter and social media is so much more important than you would think. I think I um got three or four different freelance gigs uh, from social media, from either people finding me on there and directly messaging me, or me just out of the blue being like, "Hey, IGN editor, how do you feel about me? Like, what's your email? What what can I? Are you looking for something?" Um, so how often does social media play a role in for you finding writers? How often are you either like you know sending out a call and getting responses that way, or like you said, finding people who you like and contacting them through there. 
I will say that the only reason I ever joined Twitter was uh, because of writing. Um, like I, I had no interest in it until I realized that it was a good way to meet editors and other writers. Uh, it, it, it definitely helps if you're someone who whose name I recognize through Twitter, even if I am not aware of what you write. If you email me, it's it, I'm more likely to, you know, read the email and like click your links and everything that's yeah. in the email. That's just uh, because I recognize the name. I may not even realize that I recognize it from Twitter. <laughs> I just know if I if it's a name I recognize, I'm more likely to pay attention to the email. Um, it's also uh, it's important uh, when it comes to driving attention to what you've written. At the same time, it's not. You know, we've had writers write something for us with large, large Twitter followings, and you know they would retweet their pieces, and there was no clear connection between that and between the actual traffic that the piece brought in. Yeah. So I'm not sure how important Twitter is from actually promoting uh, your work itself to possible readers, but it's definitely important if you're a writer to promoting yourself to to editors and other writers. Yeah, and that's, I mean, when I was first kind of coming up and hadn't been like even paid for any of the stuff yet, I used Twitter in that way where it's, you know, hey, here's my content and hopefully it gets the right, you know, number of retweets so that someone like you or someone at IGN or GameSpot would eventually see it and they make that mental connection where, like you said, even if they don't exactly, you know, know what you're, you know, know you personally, they make that connection with your Twitter and with what you've posted and it's it's worked. I mean, if I'm being, you know, like open about this show, it's uh the twitter presence and me you know try overly maybe overly sharing this um but asking for those shares from people who i follow it's it's helped significantly grow the audience and have people listening to it every week people who would have never seen it otherwise yeah. when someone like uh like uh steve gaynard uh, had retweeted the one i did with greg kasabin and from there it exploded all these people started listening to it and like it seems Maybe it seems shallow to be like, oh, I'm using social media to promote myself. But when you're a freelancer, so much of what you have to do is promote yourself so that people can see you and you can get these opportunities. It's not shallow at all. It's what you need to do. I mean, it's it's part of the job at this point. Like if 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 you're a young writer and you don't have any Twitter presence at all, like I'm not going to not work with you, but it definitely helps if you do have some level of a Twitter presence or, you know, some sort of social media presence somewhere. Yeah. And like you said, like, if, of course, you're not fully judging someone on that, but it does make a difference. I remember um, yeah. there was a time where I think it was the EVE Online re-review that GameSpot did. And this was like a year, year and a half ago or something like that. I don't know. But Nick Capazzoli's name was on there. And that was before he, that was his first review, maybe in general, about games. And he had, yeah. I checked his Twitter. <laughs> he had like 100 followers. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, this is a really good review. Why have I never heard of this guy? And now you look at right. him and like every time... He's he uses Twitter now a lot to talk about his different you know criticism ideas and all the stuff like that and it's helped him significantly find an audience and a lot of people now really enjoy his writings so that's just a case right there of when you start when you put the effort into building your I hate brand because it sounds corporate but when it comes to freelance you know you're building a brand you're you are not attached to a website it's you're trying to build yourself up. Right. And moving back to pace for a second. So when it comes to the actual content that you produce, how worried are you about traffic figures? Because I've definitely written for sites. I, don't, I never blame them, but I've written for sites where that is the focus, where I will pitch something that I think is interesting and maybe hasn't been done before. But it's, you know, you look, they say like, you know, sorry, we're going to pass on that. It's usually because it might not get as much as a top 10 list about Fallout 4. So of course you want pace to get as many views as possible. You know, if you could you right. want every article to explode but 
you really do, and this goes back to me talking about how creative and original paced games is, you produce just this medley of wonderful, interesting features and reviews that aren't, at least they don't feel to me like they're, you know, reaching for clicks or fully focused on what's hot right now. So is traffic something you really think about or are you more willing to kind of take a chance with something unique? So I, I'm pretty well insulated from ownership. I don't know what their long-term goals are. I know the goals I'm given for my sections and uh, definitely want to hit them every week. And more often than not, I do. And uh, no, it's never really been much of a problem um, juggling what I want to read myself, what I want to run uh, with what they expect from us. Um, but, you know, you'll see things like all those rankings we like to run, which are well-written pieces. Uh, J.V. Gwaltney wrote a ton of them and wrote some smart, insightful things about various games. But uh, I, I would not call them clickbait at all, but they're definitely pieces that I know are going to bring in a much larger readership than you know, uh, an essay about uh, a PC game that maybe a lot of readers haven't even heard of before. So yeah, there are things that you can do as an editor definitely to 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 make sure that you're you're hitting your numbers without necessarily compromising your your goals or your beliefs or your principles. I mean, you mentioned that you know those lists and like the top tens, top fifteens, and that stuff. All you know they're well written, but they do get the more traffic because people love lists. Does that kind of right. does does writing those, producing those, give you the freedom then to cover? PC games that no one's ever heard about or indie games that, you know, review an indie game that, you know, maybe will get a, a thousandth of the, of like the amount of traffic that a Fallout 4 will get. Does that kind of give you that opportunity where it's like, well, we did really well with this one. Now we can experiment more with this one. You know, I've, I've never explicitly um, thought about it that way. Like, I've never been like, well, because this piece did so well, we can now run this other piece that's not going to do well. Mm. I just, when I schedule things out, when I sign things, when I decide what to run, I, I just sort of just know in my head um, that some pieces will definitely do well and some pieces won't. And I definitely try to sort of pair them on the the, the same weeks on the schedule, you know, so that <laughs> we will have something big hit, uh, even if, or at the same time as a piece that won't do quite as well. Uh, do you ever kind of get a uh, feature turned down by like higher ups because they think like it's just not broad enough? It's not going to grab enough people, or do you really have no. enough control? So you have enough control within Pace, so you can. So when I wrote for you, I wrote um, about Ian Stalker, and when he he's the developer who's now working with Double Fine. He made a scapegoat too, and he started just as like Xbox Live Indie, and. I had a lot of fun writing that story, and I think it was a cool story to tell. But in, in my mind, I knew like this is not like going to be, as far as I know, some traffic home run. So something like that, even if you brought it up, like if uh, your higher up saw that, they're going to be like, they're not going to stop you. For you, you have kind of this creative control over what you produce. I have never been told not to run anything. I have never been told what to run. I have had pretty much complete autonomy over both of my sections as long as I've been editing them. they uh, my, my editor-in-chief, uh, who was one of the founders of Paste back 15, 20 years ago, he has been fantastic at basically putting full trust in me to do what I want with these sections. So, yeah, I never had any uh, any problems at all uh, like that. Well, that's great. That's got to be fantastic for you to, once again, have this creative control over that. And when you're when you're signing reviews... I was just looking through and there's a lot of games where you know, you're reviewing the big games but also reviewing the really small games, some of them that I haven't heard about. Are you 
are you getting code and then emailing specific freelancers in that Rolodex you have? Or are a lot of freelancers coming to you with code in hand saying, you know, I just got this from a, d- a developer or a publisher and I want to review it. Is that okay? What's kind of the relationship there? Um, it's both. Uh, a lot of times uh, freelancers get the same emails I get with the same code offers. So, you know, there have been times where I get an email and I'm like, oh, hey, this is a game. I've never heard of it, but it sounds interesting. We should probably write about it. And before I can email anyone, one of my regulars will be like, hey, I just got this code for this thing. Can I do it? And it'll be a beautiful synchronous moment where I'm like, yes, go ahead, do it. <laughs> um, but, you know, for the big games, uh, people contact me, like writers will contact me weeks before release asking if they can they can have it, and you know, it's it's my duty to sit down and think about who would be the best writer for for, for that specific title. And uh, you know, if I have to, I will have games shipped directly to writers. Uh, I will. I, I I like to sort of you know stay on top of uh, communications between freelancers and PR mm-hmm. to an extent, just to make sure that no one. I mean, not that I don't trust my writers, but just to make sure that Pace's name is not in any way you know, um, dinged in any sort of communications like that. But, um, yeah, so, uh, some of it's me assigning stuff. Some of it is writers coming to me specifically and other times it's, uh, you know, the combo of the two basically. And do you review many games at this point or is it almost all freelance? Cause is, is, are you, is Jen Frank still working? With... Yeah, Jen, Jen is my assistant editor, and she helps out with uh, some editing and some some formatting and and some publishing stuff. And she's working on uh, some pieces of her own um, that will go up uh, hopefully uh, this month. And um, but uh, when it comes to writing, I I do at this point when I do write about games, it tends to be reviews more than anything else. I, I reviewed Fallout Four, and uh, I um working on a couple games right now that I'll probably be reviewing. I definitely don't review as much as I used to. But before I was a full-time editor at Paste, I, before January of 2015, I was uh, a part-time editor. I worked maybe 15 hours a week for Paste. And I also wrote weekly reviews for a newspaper up in Boston. And um, since I started full-time at Paste, I tried to keep up that weekly schedule of reviews, and I just didn't have time to do that anymore yeah. because... Playing games takes so much time. <laughs> Reviewing games is so time consuming. Like you don't, you know, everyone talks about how if they're not in it, they're like, oh, you're so lucky you get to review games for a living. And yes, it's great. But when you review and you know you just reviewed Fallout 4, that's yeah. 50, 60, 80 hours. And then plus the writing, plus the editing, that is a massive undertaking. It is. And I, I always, some reviews will do really well in terms of the attention they get. Um, but on average, I'd say reviews, uh, you know, they, they don't do as well as, again, lists, stuff like that. So it's the rate that we pay for reviews I wish could be a lot higher because it's a horrible hourly rate, basically. The, the amount of time you have to put into playing a game and then writing about it, it's, yeah, it's not a good uh, no. Not a good return, but um, it's it's important to have that. It's valuable to have that, and I know a lot of people legitimately love uh, writing reviews. A lot of critics out there who love being critics. Um, so it's important that we keep running them. Yeah, no, I uh, I had Tom McShay on here who used to work at Gamespot before, and he was uh, freelancing for IGN, and it was some JRPG he was reviewing for 3DS, and he had just asked me directly like why do people write freelance reviews? He's like, because it's fun, but the return I'm getting, it's not there in terms of, and this is something that I've said multiple times. I love reviewing video games. Um, and 
I, like you said, it's, it's valuable. It's, it's interesting. And some people just love to do it. But if I was full time freelancing, which I'm not now, but if I was, I don't think I would review anything that wasn't like a three to four hour indie game. Um, right. Just because the returns not there. I have a, um, a full time job and that's, you know, that's where I get my income. So for me, when I'm reviewing games for GameSpot or IGN or anyone, it's, it's more of a passion project and the, the money's fine. It's great, but it's, it's not what it's for. So it's a weird balance where, like you said, they're important and I love reading games criticism, um, on your site, on GameSpot and a whole bunch of different sites. But it's also hard for me to come up to someone who's getting into this and saying like, you know, this is, this is going to be my prime income source. It's like, well, you might want to consider features and interviews and things like that moving forward. Right. And I think one reason that I still try to write reviews is because it is personally my favorite type of, of writing about games. I'd rather write about, you know, the, the work itself uh, usually than um, interview the, the, the people that made the work. Um, and now that I'm on full-time staff, it's something where the, the time to, to, uh, to money um, ratio <laughs> maybe isn't quite the problem it would have been. Although I don't get to play games during the workday. It's not like I, I sit at work in our office with the TV and a PlayStation playing Fallout 4. That was all stuff I had to do at home at the end of the day. Um, and that's, but, that's, uh, that's starting to interrupt you, but that's pretty crazy when you think about it because, and this is another thing I was talking with Tom about, like, it makes sense that, of course, you're not going to sit all day and play Fallout 4, but playing Fallout 4 is still considered work. So at the end of the day, that's like an entire weekend of work, really. Right, yeah, no, it is. But it's it's work I'd probably be doing anyway, which yeah. is a bad way to look at it, especially if you're a freelancer. But um, I, uh, I I don't play nearly as many games as I maybe should, but when there's something that I really want to play, I definitely make the commitment and find the time to play it, and that was one. And, you know, having a review copy, they got those out really early. So uh, yeah, I would we hope so. So able to... Uh, you know, I was able to basically get through it before it even came out and get that review up on time, which is good. There's a game I'm playing right now, which is maybe even longer, and I think reviews went up a week ago, and I don't have mine up yet because I'm still playing it, um, which is, you know, might make me look unprofessional, but whatever, I have a life to live here. Yeah, um, and, you know, you have to beat the game to write about it in almost every case, so yeah, it makes sense. Right. You had mentioned uh, before that reviews are your favorite type of content to write, and that was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you, but kind of to spin that a little bit, what's your favorite stuff to edit? Let's say you're looking through this full inbox of pitches you have and you're looking for, you're like, man, I really want a new feature or something to publish. What style of coverage really catches your eye? What style of coverage do you love to edit and actually produce on paste? Um, the type of work that, again, Austin Walker was doing where, you know, it could be direct game-based criticism but was also uh, viewing it from a much wider cultural scale and tying it into um, the world around us and, you know, the nature of... Uh, I'm thinking specifically of his um, Battlefield Hardline yep. piece. That's what I was thinking of, too. Yeah, like that was... You know, uh, when you're an editor and you get something in your inbox and it's three times longer than you told them you wanted it to be, that's usually a huge red flag. You know, it's like, oh, this is going to be a lot of stuff I have to cut out of here because it's not going to be justified how long this is. Mm -hmm. And um, Austin, though, that piece was a lot longer than we had talked about and uh, not much got cut out at all because it was um, pretty pretty much done when it showed up, mm -hmm. which 
is it doesn't always happen, you know. A lot of, no. you know, that's the, the, my job is to help people uh, make things better. But uh, that one was one that didn't need a lot of work. Um, and it was also fascinating to read. I mean, it it, it felt like something you would read in the Atlantic, perhaps, you know. Mm. And uh, I'm not interested in games culture other than how it relates to the real culture around us, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to read pieces that are basically navel-gazing about solely games. Mm -hmm. um, that's not interesting to me, and that's not what Paste has ever really been about. Um, a lot of sites do that and do that really well, but that's not what we're looking for, and it's not what I like to read. So uh, if you want to write for us, think about the broader world. <laughs> yeah, no, without a doubt. And that's not something you see on a lot of other websites, and that's, once again, why I appreciate Paste. And this is something that uh, Nick Capazzoli's reviews, you, you read into the comments, and it's always this is a feature, this isn't a review, or why are we talking yeah. about this specific aspect of culture in this review about uh, a strategy game? And that's always, it's it's a bummer. I mean, you should never read comments in general, but if you do, it's a bummer to read those comments because it's just like, why can't why can't a review be that? And why can't this feature dig into something that is, you know, not exactly within the game but the game is kind of harkening back to or you know with battlefield hardline that's a great example because that is you know this game with like the police during this really very difficult conversation about police violence and all the stuff that was going around and it's right. it's impossible to ignore what's going on around you if the game has these aspects that remind you of it or play into that so it's I'm I'm in the same boat where that's the kind of stuff I like to read. It's really difficult to write. It is, you know, it's it's a new it's a lot easier if I get a game and it is a straightforward like like downwell, let's say for example. It's like here's a very mechanics focused game um that I can write about these mechanics and why they work compared to uh I reviewed Sunset for GameSpot, which was this like really interesting yep. emotional first person kind of mm -hmm. timepiece and that was one of the most difficult reviews i had to write because you're researching about that era you're you know tying it back into uh, actual cultural events and that's difficult but that's also what i like to read and write even if there are times where i'm like man i wish i could just review some call of duty shooter where it's pretty straightforward yeah but yeah that's and yeah, once once again, that's one of the main reasons why I like to uh, read paste. But overall, and this is a pretty broad question, so uh, what do you think about the current state of games writing outside of paste? So we we still get a lot of these reviews that I feel read kind of like um, a product analysis, where it's um, Similar to how you would review a new camera or a new PC where you're going almost down a checklist of like, it looks good, it sounds good, it's not broken, 8 out of 10. I honestly don't read a lot of game writing. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, if, if there are people who I like, uh, I'll keep up with. Like, I read Austin at Giant Bomb sometimes. Um, I, it's, uh, you know, I, I look at Kotaku occasionally. You know, you, you'll go to Gawker, you'll go to Deadspin, and, and the way they share articles... You'll, you'll, you'll be like, oh, hey, Jason Schreier wrote this. This is a Kotaku thing. Maybe I'll read this. But um, Kotaku does you know, a decent job, I think. They're, they have some of the best writers in the business there now, and they seem to um, be f relatively free to cover what they want. But I don't know. It's not something that I do. I don't spend a lot of time uh, reading other sites, which is not – hopefully it doesn't sound arrogant or anything. It's just no. – uh, 
I, I think it's interesting because because you don't read other sites, it might actually help you because you know you're not not that I think you would, but you're not modeling paste after something else. You're not modeling after what IGN or GameSpot is doing. You're doing your own thing, and of course, you understand what types of articles are garnering attention and what games are important. But maybe it's beneficial in that you can do your own thing and it reads, and it does read this way in a positive light, differently than other game sites do. Uh, you know, Kotaku does every once in a while have really interesting things and some other sites do too, but it reads like someone who is not worried about what its competitors are doing in a positive way. Uh, I Yeah, I've never really, I've never really seen game sites as our competitor per se you know i feel like they're going after a different audience than we are and we would love some of that audience as well but paste you know it's a mainstream site it's been around for a long time it has uh, a built-in audience of people who come looking for music or movies or tv and uh those are the people that we're trying to write for you know we're trying to write for people who have an interest in games and like games and want to know about games but maybe don't you know aren't so into games as a culture that they, you know, read Kotaku or Polygon regularly or, you know, sites like that. Um, and not, not to, you know, in no way insulting Polygon or Kotaku because they both, uh, they do really great jobs at what they focus on. And um, uh, there's definitely been an improvement in Kotaku from when I first started reading it, you know, like six, seven years ago or whatever. And, uh, you know, nothing like Polygon really existed, I don't think, when I started getting into games writing. So so here's the thing. I, I wrote um, about music uh, largely for about seven years before I ever wrote about a video game. Okay. And it was a thing where an editor for a weekly paper I wrote for was like, hey, do any of you guys play games? And I was like, hey, you know, I play some games. Uh, he's like, okay, start reviewing games for us. And I was like, all right, cool. And so I started doing that. And then I realized that there was, for whatever reason, um, it was apparently easier to advance in writing about games than music. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I started checking out some of these sites about games. And again, not to badmouth anything that existed in 2008, 2009, but uh, you can tell just from then, just from six years ago, how greatly the focus of sites like Kotaku has changed uh, in terms of how they write about games and um, how they relate to their audience and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, and Pace has always been you know, before I ever was an editor there, I felt like they had the same sort of focus where it wasn't necessarily writing for the, uh, you know, the, the dedicated uh, game crowd or mm. whatever, trying to avoid, uh, you know, uh, slang and jargon terms for, for readers here. <laughs> um, and uh, that's just been, you know, sort of, I, th I think maybe why I'm a good fit at Pace is because I, I am someone who's never really spent a lot of time reading sites like that. No, I, think that's great and it's worked out really well for you and this is your you said this is your fourth year uh, 2015 has been um yeah i took over for kirk hamilton in august of 2011 so it's been about four years and we've grown a lot since then um we keep growing this year has been double what we had last year so far wow. year to year so it's it's going okay so then what do you uh where do you see pace games going in 2016 and kind of beyond which is you know it's far-reaching and who knows what anything's going to look like, you know, years down the line. But do you have new feature ideas in terms of like new specific types of content you're producing and ideas? What's kind of the the uh, future goal of Paste? So um, we'll be doing more video stuff. 
we've sort of already been dipping our toes into that. We have a new our uh, our company launched a new uh, streaming service called Paste Cloud, which is sort of a, a user generated video thing where anyone can upload their own videos to it. So if you have listeners who make videos about games, they can go ahead and upload their videos to Paste Cloud, and as editor, I can go ahead and sort through them and. If there's something that seems worth highlighting, I can put it up on our main page, and 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 the uh, makers of those videos they get a, a better cut of the ad rate than they would from YouTube or other streaming services. Oh, wow. um, and it's not exclusive, so like if they wanted to put it up there and also put it up on U- their normal YouTube page, they could totally do that. Um, but uh, yeah, we're gonna be making more original videos as well, both some of our writers and um, some of our staffers at Paste. So uh, you know that's something we probably should have started doing a few years ago, but. <laughs> You know, budgets are what they are. So, and uh, yeah, just I'm excited about. Uh, I think we have a pretty good setup right now. I mean, the, the type of content we run, the type of variety we offer, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to keeping that going into the new year. Yeah. Right now, I'm I'm looking for a replacement for uh, JV Gwaltney because that man is a beast. He uh, he he wrote so much for us <laughs> for so long. Um, like uh, I've never known someone who could turn around a game review as quickly as he could, and uh, he's now a game informer, which is really exciting for him, and yeah, for us too. It. Yeah, he's a, he's a great man and a great writer. So, but he is from Georgia, like me, and now he has to deal with those harsh Minnesota winters. Uh, it's going to be tough for him. That is not any. I think the transition from harsh winter to south is much easier than the other way around. <laughs> yes, uh, but yeah, I mean, you have a fantastic track record of having these consistent writers who end up at places like Giant Bomb and Game Informer and uh, Kotaku and other places. So it has to be awesome for you. A bummer to lose those writers, but also awesome for you to see, like, yeah, that, that guy oh, deserves it. That girl deserves it. It's always great because, you know, we aren't, we're not a fly by our, you know, the seat of our pants up operation at all. But, like, I, I always feel bad that, I, you know, we can never compensate people to the level that they deserve. And um, it's amazing to see them be able to get full-time jobs when, you know, when they work as hard as JV or Austin did, um, seeing Maddie go on to uh, the Mary Sue and and be able to start getting her way out of games journalism was pretty great too. And you had mentioned that you're looking for uh, you know someone to replace JV and new video people. So if if freelancers freelancers are listening right now and are looking for a way to contact you to try to fill those positions or just write monthly stuff, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, my email uh, through Paste is Garrett at PasteMagazine.com. That's Garrett with two R's and two T's. And, um, you know, just email me. Put put the word pitch in the uh, subject line so that when I uh, when I search for pitches, I can find it. And, um, you know, maybe I'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so during the end of these podcasts, I had mentioned this to you before we started recording. Uh, I usually kind of do like one last tip. So if you want to go and... Try something new. Do something immediately after this to help kind of get you closer to getting accepted somewhere. This is kind of a good place to do that. So, and literally on this piece, uh, this word document, I just have "write for paste" as my tip, uh, which might right. be the second or third time <laughs> I've done this. But I really do want to emphasize that that uh, I had a blast writing what I wrote for you guys. And I there's a lot of sites that this is not me putting any other sites down, but there, there are these like super corporate major sites that will not take specific type of content for, because it doesn't match their style or what they're looking to publish. And you were fantastic to work with where I really had this, you know, what I thought was a good idea and it worked well when I worked with you. And why haven't we done it again? That's a good question. Um, (laughs) And no, it's, it's something that I have ideas. I've been, um, 
I've been out of feature writing for a bit, which is a bummer. I um, it a year and a half ago is when I got this full time job right out of college, and mm-hmm. am struggling to find time to freelance. But I think I'm about to find time to do that again in 2016. That's when I I don't make New Year's resolutions, but I'm gonna make it one now that I need to right. write more. And yeah, it was fun, and that was something that uh, if you are a writer who, and a lot of people start as I did, where you're you're writing for kind of just an enthusiast site where you're not getting paid, and you're looking for, you know, I want to pitch somewhere like for the first, second, third, fourth time, whatever. I think Pace is a fantastic place to go, and it was um, you're gonna learn a lot, and you are going to be among some really amazing writers who, as I mentioned, are going places. Um, and if they just stay at Pace for a long time, that's fantastic too. But a lot of them end up at uh, full-time positions or maybe even out of games and doing other writing jobs. So if you are listening to this and you feel that your writing is up to snuff and you're ready to kind of take that next step, I think Paste is a fantastic place to pitch. So that'd probably be a good tip for you to give, but since I stole that from you, (laughs) uh, is there anything else you'd like to pass along? Yeah, um, read. Like, make sure you read. And and make sure you read a lot. And, And make sure you don't just read game site. Um, if you want to write, you need to see how other writers do it, and um, you need to stay immersed again the broader culture, um, especially or, or not especially, but even if you're you know writing about games, you need to know about more than just games. You need to be able to re- to relate to people on a level beyond just game culture and stuff like that. And I think that's crucial, uh, and that's the number one thing I would tell people. If, yeah. if they want to write for based. Yeah, and that's something that I have not been great with lately. I, I'm one of those, like, I used to read a lot in high school and early college, and then, you know, life happens and you kind of fall away from it. And one of the things I'm actually asking for from, like, my family for Christmas, I'm like, give me, like, a Kindle or something. I don't want anything else. I just want a Kindle, and I'm going to start reading more because, of course, it makes sense. And it, it's the kind of tip that, like, Seems obvious, but not a lot of people do it. So I totally agree. Like, if you're going to get better at this, you need to read other people who have found success and are yeah. published, and not just in video games. It doesn't even have to be books or novels, or you know, go to the Atlantic's website, go to the New Yorker's website, go to uh, you know, um, sometimes uh, Gawker uh, blogs will have really great, long, um, well-researched, well-written pieces. Um, just with an internet connection, there is a whole world out there that you can go and you can yeah. read and you can see how people write about things. Um, what, what, whatever city you live in, they probably have a local magazine um, that probably has some really great local interest stuff. Um, yeah, just explore, explore the world of writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's I think that's great advice. And uh, Garrett, thank you so much for talking with me today. Um, it's I really do hope. I mean, I don't want to flood your inbox. Hopefully, I don't get a flood of new writers. You're like, God damn it. Now I just I'm going to spend my weekend looking at this. But hopefully, there are some people who, you know, if they've been looking, this is a perfect place to go. So I appreciate you spending uh, the time today to talk to me. I, uh, I'm tickled that you think I would spend my weekend reading pitches. <laughs> um, no, uh, no, it's been great. Thanks for having me on. Um, I hope this has been interesting and not boring <laughs> i hope so too i think so you know if, if people have liked other episodes that i've done then i promise they will like this one can i keep that promise probably not but i'm gonna pretend to promise that they will love this one so thanks everyone who did listen and uh, hopefully tune back in next week for the next episode of the 1099